Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you for worshiping through singing. And now we're going to spend some time worshiping through the Word together. My name is Justin Knowles. I'm the teaching pastor here at Ingleside. And this morning, we're going to look at a couple of different Proverbs. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to Proverbs 5. And we're actually going to be wrapping up our series on the book of Proverbs and uh, living a life of wisdom. Uh, so you can go ahead and uh, open your Bible. We'll get your listening outline and a pen so you can write some things in along the way uh, as you do that. And let me say welcome to those of you in the contemporary service and those of you joining us online and on television. I'm really glad that you can join us as well. Uh, now, recently, I did a little research into something. Uh, I looked up some books that I thought might be helpful to be aware of. Uh, specifically, I started by looking up books to help men understand women. There are a lot of them. Here are just a few of the titles that stood out to me. One book is called Understanding Women, Unlocking the Mystery. I know nothing about these books, by the way. Don't, these are not recommendations. This might have been my favorite one. Understanding Women, Everything a Man Needs to Know About Women. That sounds pretty ambitious to me. Uh, but I guess if you're just going to read one, that's the one you should read. It's everything you need to know. If you think, man, that, that just sounds like a bit much. How about this book titled, Understanding Women Better? Much more modest proposal. Don't need to know everything. Just gonna understand them a little bit better. We also looked up some books uh, to help women understand men. Here are a few that stood out to me. One is called The Male Brain, A Breakthrough Understanding of How Men and Boys Think. I might wanna read that one. Another book titled, The Women's Guide to Understanding Men, Unlock the Male Minds. This is my favorite in this category. There's a book titled simply, Making Sense of Men. <laughs> There's one I actually am familiar with and recommend. It's called, For Women Only, What You Need to Know About the Inner Lives of Men. Came across a couple of classics such as, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. If uh, planets aren't your thing, if you're more of a food person, how about the similar title? Men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti. <laughs> there are lots of others. Uh, what do those books tell us? Uh, I think they sort of confirm what we already know, which is that men and women are different. And in some pretty significant ways. And being a man or a woman, it's an important part of who we are, of how God created us. It's, it's not all there is to us, but it's an important part of who we are. And so I don't think it should be surprising to us that in the book of Proverbs, a book where God is giving us practical wisdom for life, it shouldn't really surprise us that there's some instruction that's pretty specific to men. And there's some instruction that's pretty specific to women. And so this morning, we're going to look at some of that, some wisdom for men and some wisdom for women. We're going to start with men in Proverbs chapter 5. Uh, you may remember that the early part of Proverbs was written as a father talking to his son. 
And so there's application that's a little broader than what we're really going to focus on right now. But since it's written as a father to his son, I want to speak primarily to men for a few minutes. And here's sort of the, the main idea that I want us to see. Would you go ahead and write this in? Instead, a wise man upholds God's standards for sexuality. Now, that's not all there is to being a wise man, of course, but it is a significant theme in the early part of Proverbs. Uh, in fact, there's a short passage in chapter 2 that introduces this theme. And then there are three more extended passages in chapters 5, 6, and 7. So it is a significant theme that the father is wanting to drive home to his son. And so I think it's a good place for us to look. We want to know how to live as wise men. Here's what he says, starting in verse 1. It says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman, you may want to underline or circle the word forbidden. It can also be translated strange. Uh, in other passages, kind of the same woman is referred to as a foreign woman, not, since in, not in the sense that she's from another country, but she's sort of outside God's covenant. She's operating outside his standards. It says, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Here's the first thing that can help us be wise men who uphold God's standards in this area of life. Would you write it in? That a wise man is not deceived by the allure of sexual sin. You notice the woman here. It's a woman. Here's the picture. It's a woman who is uh, trying to um, entice a man into an adulterous relationship. You're not married. She's enticing him into a sexual relationship, an adulterous relationship. And she's called, as I pointed out, a forbidden woman or a strange woman. I think even that sort of term should be a reminder to us that no matter how common or accepted sexual sin is in our culture, no matter how normal it may seem at times, it is not to be normal for God's people. It is not our standard. It should be strange or foreign to us. It's not the norm in God's kingdom. But we do need to acknowledge that it can be appealing. It can actually be tempting for us. And so there's a warning here. He says she might sound enticing. She might look enticing as she's trying to lure you into this type of relationship and convince you to engage in this with her. She might look attractive. Some of the things she says might be appealing to you. They might be flattering to you or sound exciting. He says, don't be deceived. What seems like sweet honey will actually be bitter as wormwood. There will, in fact, be negative, harmful consequences to an adulterous relationship. You might try to convince yourself otherwise. In fact, in Proverbs 7, the woman does try to convince the man. There's a similar scene where she's trying to convince him to commit adultery. And she says, look, my husband's gone. He's on a trip. He'll be away for a long time. He'll never find out. No one ever needs to know. 
She even gets sort of religious and says, I've already offered sacrifices, seems to be suggesting, look, God will forgive us for this. Everything's gonna be okay, it's not a big deal, let's just do this. No real downside. But it's a lie. That kind of relationship is very costly. It can cost you your marriage, it can cost you your family, it can cost you your reputation. He goes on just a few verses later to suggest there can be financial cost, emotional cost, relational cost, spiritual cost. He even says that much of your, your resources, your energy, your time, they're meant for your own family to be a blessing for them. Those things get spent on this adulterous relationship, and so your family suffers tremendously. Wise men aren't deceived. We recognize the cost of a relationship like that is extremely high, and it's inevitable. Just a little later in Proverbs, he says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and clothes and not be burned? What's the answer? No. So he says, don't play with that fire then. Don't be deceived by the allure, the promise that everything will be fine. There's a significant cost involved. In fact, look at what he says in verse eight. He says, so keep your way far from her. In fact, don't even go near the door of her house. Would you write this in? That a wise man avoids moving toward adultery. Don't even move in that direction. And that means if you have a relationship with a woman at work or anywhere else and you just sense it's starting to move in sort of a romantic direction, that you make some changes right away. If there are some patterns in your relationships and conversations that need to change, you make those changes to protect your marriage. It means you don't put yourself in a position where this temptation will be especially strong. I remember as a teenager, uh, the first time I, I was aware of a man that I knew who had had an adulterous relationship. And I learned that he had met this other woman at a bar after work. And as a teenager, I thought, well, what was he doing there? He made a series of foolish choices and put himself in a position that led to that. A wise man doesn't move in that direction. It would also include being very careful about what you take in, the images that you see and watch. A wise man does not put into his heart and mind inappropriate sinful images. You might say, well, Justin, that's not quite the same thing as committing adultery. Well, didn't Jesus say if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart? I mean, it's the same fundamental sin, right? You're desiring that type of intimacy with a woman who's not your wife. Yeah, I know that's prevalent in our culture and world, and one of the ideas out there is there's really no downside. It's fine. It's the allure of sexual sin. There's no cost, but the truth is that type of, of action is, it is God-defying. It is hell-deserving. It needs to be taken seriously. It is mind-warping and heart-hardening, and it is marriage-ruining, and a wise man has nothing to do with it. A wise man doesn't move in that direction. Instead, a wise man flees from temptation, gets away from it. It's not asking how close can I get. It's asking how far away can I get from that type of sin. So I want to honor the Lord. I want to walk in wisdom. I want to protect my marriage. I want to protect the marriage of other people. I'm not moving in that direction at all. But listen, that's not all he says in terms of how do you kind of maintain God's standards in this area. Look at what he says next, specifically to men who are married. 
He says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. He's saying, here's a, a gift the Lord has given you, husband. It's your wife. And so, verse 20, he concludes, why then should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? Woman God has not given you as your wife. He's given you your wife. Enjoy that relationship. Embrace it. Protect it. Don't be intoxicated with somebody who he hasn't given you. Here's the point. Write it in. It's that a wise man protects his marriage by pursuing intimacy with his wife. This is what he's saying. He's saying to husbands and wives, enjoy sexual intimacy with each other. And he says a lot. I mean, twice, verse 19, at all times, always. As one commentator put it, husbands and wives, this part of your marriage should be fun and frequent. Here's how Paul puts in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Don't deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Part of the strategy of resisting sexual temptation for those who are married is to regularly enjoy sexual intimacy with your spouse. Uh, love how Raymond Ortland puts it in his commentary on this passage. He compares sexual intimacy to fire. And he says, inside the fireplace, the fire keeps you warm. Outside the fireplace, it burns down the house. He says, here's what Proverbs 5 then is teaching us. Here's what we should learn. He says, it's teaching us to keep the fire in the marital fireplace and stoke that fire as hot as you can. He goes on, verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Look at this. It says, he dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. So would you write this in? That a wise man is disciplined. He says here of a foolish man that he dies for lack of discipline. That's a person who just sort of gives in to all his impulses, any of his desires, even if they're sinful. He just sort of does whatever he feels like doing in the moment. There's no discipline. And that leads to destruction. A wise man, on the other hand, practices discipline. Uh, I mean, you sort of go and make a commitment to God's standards in this area of life. You make a commitment to faithfulness in your marriage, to your wife. And then you put things in place. You put some safeguards in place, some guardrails. And you pursue your wife and you practice self-control. And uh, you're like Job in Job 31 who said, I've made a covenant with my eyes not even to look at another woman lustfully. 
So you're not even gonna go down that road. There's discipline. It comes out of a commitment to the Lord's standards. By the way, I think it's a good word for single men as well. If you're a young man who's not yet married or a single man in any stage of life, have this kind of discipline in place. Go ahead and commit to God's standards in this area of life. Never pursue this type of intimacy with a woman who's not your wife. Uh, that's good for men in any season of life, isn't it? One last thing on this passage. Uh, I think there's some application here for parents as well. And keep in mind, this is a father writing to his son. It's a reminder that parents have responsibility to talk to our children about this issue. Jesus, I've actually listed, a, provided their resource for you. I found very helpful. I think it's excellent. It's a resource called God's Design for Sex. Um, we actually have it available in the bookstore. It's a series of books that are very age appropriate all along the way. They start out very short, get a little bit longer as kids get older. Um, extremely age appropriate to give children a positive biblical view of marriage and sexuality. And so if you're looking for a good tool to help you have those conversations with your children, I highly recommend that one. So you can see there's some application beyond just men, but that's some kind of specific focused on men. All right, what about some wisdom for women? You know, I would imagine if I started by saying, I'm going to share some wisdom for women from the book of Proverbs, what chapter do you think we're going to look at? Most of you probably know, right? Chapter 31, one of the best known chapters in Proverbs. It's an excellent chapter, which is filled with wisdom, uh, specifically for, wisdom, for women. And so you can turn there in your Bible, or you'll see it on your listening outline as well. And here's sort of the main idea, the big picture we want us to get. Would you write it in that a wise woman pours herself out for the benefit of others? She has an others orientation in her life. You see this all throughout these verses. Let's start in verse 10. It says, an excellent, an excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he'll have no lack of gain. He has everything he needs. She does him good, not harm, all the, all the days of her life. She seeks wool and Flax. So it kind of comes back up later in the chapter. It's a way of saying that um, she's providing clothes for her family. She works with willing hands. You want to sort of make a note of that word willing. It implies joy, that she is doing this joyfully. I think that's important to understand the heart of this woman and the kind of life she's living. What you're seeing her do here, she's doing it joyfully. Verse 14, she's like the ships of the merchant. How? Well, she brings her food from afar. She rises while it's yet night. She's getting up early and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Did you write this in? That a wise woman works hard to provide for others. In a number of ways here, uh, this wise woman is described as a hard worker. 
but also a very competent and capable worker. And this is a woman who, who's working long hours. She's getting up early and staying up late. She considers a field and buys them. She's going out and buying property and planting a vineyard. She's a very capable, competent woman. And working hard. And what is she working hard for? Well, it's to make sure her family has everything that they need. You notice it says her husband lacks nothing. She provides clothing. She provides food. She's making sure the people around her have what they need. And she's willing to work hard to make that happen. It's not just limited to her family. Look at verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. So write this in. A wise woman is caring and generous. She looks around. She sees needs. She's aware of those. She's tuned into the people around her. And if she's able to meet those needs, she does. She joyfully helps other people and serves them in that way. So the, the poor and needy around her are being taken care of. Verse 21, she's not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. She's saying she's not concerned if some cold weather comes through or some snow, even if they didn't see it coming. She knows her family will be all right. She's planned ahead. She's thought through that scenario. She knows her family is going to have the clothes they need when the cold weather comes. And in fairness, I'm not sure this woman lived in the South. We're just not really set up for that. Uh, we can kind of go into panic mode. If we snow's coming, what, what are we going to do? Well, at least in this case, the wise one planned for that. She had a plan. She knew family's going to be okay. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband, listen to this, verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So would you write this in, that a wise woman helps her husband succeed. She recognizes that she's been given to her husband as a helper. Part of a wife's God-given role in relation to her husband is to help him. It's going back to the creation account in Genesis. And so she does that, and she does it very well. In fact, it's, it's saying here, she takes care of so many things and does it with such a level of competence that he just knows all those things are fine. That's all taken care of. He's not even having to think about that which sort of frees him up to focus on other things, other things God's called him specifically to do. And of course, the family benefits from that, from his hard work and success. In this case, the community seems to be benefiting from his success. And what's a big part of that? It's a wife who is helping, who's making that possible for him so that when he sits in the gates, he is well thought of by other people. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. See verse 28 in bold there, it's a well-known verse. I'd love for us to read this one out loud together. On the count of three, we're just gonna read it out loud. You ready? One, two, three. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And what does he say? He says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Would you write this in? That a wise woman prioritizes Jesus 
over appearance. Where do we get that from? We see in verse 30. Charms deceitful, beauties in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Doesn't mean you gotta be indifferent about how you look or appearance. In fact, there's some indication in this chapter that she dressed very well, uh, presented herself very well. Uh, so it's not that you have to be indifferent about that at all. It's just that she also recognized that her outward appearance was temporary, was fading. And what mattered most, therefore, to her is the fear of the Lord, sort of cultivating this relationship with the Lord and, and then the way of life that flows out of that. That should be the priority. In her book titled, Mom, You're Incredible, Author Linda Weber asked the question, what in the world do I do all day? And then she answers the question. Uh, this is part of her list. She says, well, I am a baby feeder, changer, bather, rocker, burper, hugger, listener to crying and fussing and thousands of questions. A picker-upper of food and debris cast on the floor. A comforter, encourager, counselor. A linguistics expert for two-year-old dialects. A listener to the husband as well as the children about their day, their needs, their concerns, their aspirations. A teacher of everything from how to chew food to how to drive a car. Assistant on school projects. A censor of TV, movies, and books. A reader of thousands of children's books planner and hostess of children's birthday parties, planner and hostess of adult parties, central control for getting the appliance fixed or the carpet shampooed, executioner of ants, roaches, wasps, and other pests, resident historian in charge of photo albums, baby books, and school record books, resident encyclopedia source for all those hard questions that seem to arise, food preservation expert, keeper and locator of birth certificates and other valuable documents, ironer of wrinkles, appointment desk for the family's visits to the doctor, the dentist, the orthodontist, the barber, and the mechanic, seeker of God and one who prays, cleaner of the oven, the drawers, the closet, the garage, the curtains, the windows, and even the walls, refurnisher of furniture, hubby's romantic attentive spouse, an emergency medical technician and ambulance driver. I think that's a pretty good modern day description of the kind of woman we see in Proverbs 31. A woman who is using all of her gifts, all of her intellect, all of her creativity, all of her talents, her time, her energy to be poured out for the sake of others. And I think increasingly that's sort of a countercultural way to live, not only for women, but I do think that's a, a message that women are hearing in some particular ways in our current culture. Women are often told to put your own ambitions above everything else, even your own family. I just wanna say it's not the biblical vision for life for any follower of Jesus, male or female. Followers of Jesus are joyfully poured out in love for the sake of others. It's true for husbands, isn't it? You're told husbands, love your wives. How has Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, for her benefits? Think about what Jesus taught us about leadership. 
He taught us to, to leverage our leadership for the good of others. It's not just for our own sake. He said of himself, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's just sort of life in the kingdom. That's how we live. Proverbs 31, we're getting a description of specifically kind of what that looks like for most women. And what does it look like? She's pouring herself out. And what are the results? And other people around her are blessed. The poor are cared for. Her husband has what he needs and he knows it. He's saying, look, there are lots of great wives out there. You surpass them all. I'm so grateful for you. And he's praising her. Her children recognize it. They're saying, mom, thanks so much for all you've done for us over the years. Everyone in her orbit is better off, is blessed because of her. So women, let that be part of your vision for your life. Now, let me say, what about, what if you're single? Because you might be hearing this and thinking, look, Justin, you keep saying women, but aren't you really talking about women who are married with children? Well, yes, because this is clearly written to a woman who's married with children here in Proverbs 31. But I just want to say the same principle applies. That a wise woman works hard to pour herself out for the sake of others, whatever your marital status. You can still do that. And as a result, other people can rise up and call you blessed. There'll be some other families that you know that'll say, our family is better because you're in our lives. We're blessed by you. Our church family is, is stronger because of your contribution. Our organization, our workplace, our office, our team, whatever you're part of, our group of friends, I mean, they're all saying, look, we are better off. We are blessed because of you. That's what a wise life leads to. And look, I don't think it's just a coincidence here that Proverbs ends with a reference to the fear of the Lord. Because this kind of woman fears the Lord. That's pretty much where Proverbs ends. That's sort of been the theme all throughout, hadn't it? That to live a wise life, we look to the Lord, we acknowledge Him as our God. We don't just do what everybody else is doing. We acknowledge Him as our God. We see the beauty and the goodness of His commands. And as a result, we joyfully obey them and we live life the way He says to live it. Words of Proverbs, we fear the Lord. So I thought it'd be good for us to say our theme verse just one more time together. And we'll end with this. Do you see it on your listening outline at the bottom there? On the count of three, we're gonna say this out loud together. Here we go. One, two, three. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for giving us your wisdom. And I pray that uh, your spirit would work these truths deep in our hearts and minds so that we might actually live wisely. Father, I pray for the men who are listening, that you would make us wise and we would uh, protect our marriages and the marriages of others. Pray for the women who are listening and you would use them as they bring all of the things you've given them to the table and pour those out, that you would use that to bless lots and lots of other people. And that in all of that, you would be glorified as we live wisely. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.